Hi, Vicky. Hi, Shane. What's the most public thing you've ever done, or I guess put out into the world besides this podcast, of course? Oh, okay. So, I mean, aside from, we've already talked about the times of me gallivanting on like high school musical stages, but I think... um, (laughs) I mean, how public was that? What was the audience? (laughs) Oh, I feel like that was a quiet diss, but... um, No. Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, continue. We'll just... Okay. Until I uh, (laughs) ruin this more. (laughs) So there was a time, this feels pretty public, but maybe it's still like a closed universe, but... There was a time when I first moved to D.C. where I ran a meetup group. Oh, um, what kind of a meetup group? Yeah, called D.C. Drink and Draw. Okay. So I would just like schedule happy hours at bars and like invite the universe to come to these like drawing events. And then strangers. Yeah, just strangers that also didn't have any friends. (laughs) Mostly, no, that's rude. But like, it was a, it was kind of like a transient group. Like, people would come in because mm-hmm. they kind of just like needed an anchor for a little while, and then they would like leave the group. Yeah. So, and then I would, you know, often kick it off with like a a drawing prompt, kind of icebreaker thing, and then we would just sit around and draw and drink beer. Wow. Um, yeah, I feel that like sounds- that's kind of public. I mean, sure. Yeah, putting that's that's putting yourself out there in a way that I am, frankly very uncomfortable with I, <laughs> I i feel like i'm i i don't know how to i describe myself as an introverted extrovert or like one of those weird yeah, things yeah, yeah. i i really enjoy being in public spaces and being around a lot of people but not necessarily interacting with strangers but mm. besides this like the podcast people can yeah. see my hand motions I'm part of a storytelling organization called the Story Collider that you're right. familiar with. Yeah. And so not on like also a podcast, not kind of crossing things here, uh, but we do, I don't do that part of it, but we do live shows where yeah. myself and my co-host, we get on stage and we are MCs for the evening while other people tell really funny and heartfelt and really deliberate and really like passionate stories about science. And then the two of us get up on stage and just be idiots, essentially. Just we are, our, our, our whole thing is just to prime the audience to make the storytellers feel better. And in some ways to show the audience what bad stage presence is. <laughs> In preparation for good no. stage presence. So yeah, that's and we like I do that a lot. And you could I've always been a I've never necessarily been like a performer or a showman or anything like that. Yeah. I, I guess I've kind of had to sing in me. But if you would have told me before I started doing this, I mean it's, it's been a while now, but like, Shane, every few months or every couple months, you're gonna get up on stage in front of a lot of people. I don't know, fifty to a hundred strangers and just tell really silly, sometimes really personal stories about yourself, mm-hmm. and people are gonna not hate it would not have believed you (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh that feels i mean it's kind of like the podcast except everybody it's real time people are actually looking at you while you're doing it it's more terrifying than what we do here because you have people judging you their judgy eyes in your face here we just have like my dogs cut out in the background so we're good to go Science is fascinating, but don't just take my word for it. Join us as we hear stories from scientists for everyone. 
I'm Shane Hamlin. And I'm Vicki Thompson. And this is Third Pod from the Sun. Well, Vicki, we are talking publicness. I think that's a word. Or actually openness today because... Today's interview is about open science. And if folks are thinking, we've heard about this before, there's going to be a lot of that uh, in the coming year because this year is the year of open science via NASA. So this episode will be a really good primer for that. Okay, so open science. Every time I think about open science, I think, what is open science? Yeah, and I, I, I was realizing, actually ran through this on a previous episode, but our interviewee, actually, uh, who works at NASA in a really fascinating role, had a much better explanation for it than I could honestly ever provide. So I'll actually let her explain. Our interviewer was Jason Rodriguez. Yeah, so my name is Cynthia Hall, and I am with NASA's Transform to Open Science program. And my role there is I serve as the community coordinator, which is kind of like a community engagement manager. Open science is the principle and practice of making research products and processes available to all while respecting diverse cultures, maintaining security and privacy, and fostering collaboration, reproducibility, and equity. The White House... 11 federal agencies, including NASA, and 88 academic institutions just recently came together and said 2023 was going to be a year of open science. So as the community coordinator, it's my responsibility to engage with communities both internal and external to NASA. Um, Open science, we feel, is the future of science. And so many organizations are interested in collaborating with NASA on initiatives, whether that be developing resources, co-hosting events, or really just advocating for open science. I I meet with these organizations describing TOPS and NASA's open science mission across the Science Mission Directorate. I listen to the community, probably more importantly, about their efforts and, and challenges and needs. And then we discuss how we can potentially collaborate. I am also responsible for all of the outreach for TOPS, which includes working with professional societies to determine how best we can promote open science at their large scientific conferences. I think science is very, you know, it's not very, it's not as diverse as it should be. I'll just say that. And it's not very inclusive sometimes. And so when I started learning about open science and NASA had this new initiative, you know, it was very exciting to think about how we can have more voices at the table and how we can listen to different perspectives and make science more collaborative and more equitable for all. Working in this field now, it's very exciting and rewarding. And, you know, I'm very excited about what the potential is for the future with open science. That's lovely. So if you if you think back on it, what, what initially drew you to the sciences? What kind of gave you that, that pull or push into it? I love this question because I have always been interested in science since I was young. And the cool thing for me is that I grew up in a small rural town in South Carolina, and there were no universities and no science institutions around. You know, we had to travel to, to go to museums and, and things of that nature. But I was always 
I always wanted to be outdoors in nature, playing in the trees, playing in the dirt, um, that kind of thing. I was curious as to how the world worked. And as I became older, I became more interested in conservation and the environment. I actually tried to start a recycling program when I was in fifth grade in my town. I was trying to think of things like that even when I was young, like to to be progressive and start thinking about the saving the environment or conserving our resources and things like that. I had an amazing family network, and especially my grandfather, you know, we called him Papa, but he was always outside. And so he'd always, I I lived next door to him and my grandmother, and we would, I was always over there with my cousins and my sister, and we were always outside, you know, so we were working in his garden. He would drive us around on his golf cart and we would talk about, you know, different trees and we'd pick blackberries and we'd learn about like different types of insects and birds. And so I think that probably was a big thing for me, right? Like just being out in nature and having him try to describe and foster my curiosity, being that curious child. And then, you know, knowing that I wanted to do something with conservation is how I started. You know, I wanted to save the whale, save the whales and work with dolphins and that kind of thing. And I ended up taking a geology course and fell in love with geology and being outdoors and working outdoors. And then where I went to undergraduate school, which was the College of Charleston, um, there was a huge focus on environmental issues and, and how, you know, and sustainability. I had some amazing mentors. I I started in marine biology and uh, shifted to geology while I was there. And in geology, I had, again, some amazing mentors that really, you know, pushed me to be the person that I was supposed to be and encouraged me in my studies. And I'm where I am today because of them. Have you ever had any great mentors that come to mind? I have, but I think it's never been a, like, for real mentor-mentee relationship, like, defined as that. But if I think back about my career so far and my, like, academic life, I had a really great mentor. Am I allowed to, like, name check? I don't know. That's Can you name check? That's up to you. Okay. I'm going to name check Scott Brophy, who (laughs) he was my like advisor in college, but then became like way more than that and sort of just set me up on the path for my career. And I could think back to so many times that he just gave me good advice and Mm -hmm. helped me work through problems or, or, or questions. And he just like, I don't know, he just became this really important part of my life. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat, honestly, because when I think about formal men, formal mentors, while wow, we were doing the, uh, the <laughs> tongue twister linguist exercises earlier, and I, I should have yeah. paid more attention. Bosses, my yeah. PI in grad school, like those types of folks. I mean, they were formal, but I didn't, I honestly got more, I think, from what you were saying, kind of informal folks. Uh, some of my yeah. lab mates in grad school, a family member who kind of really helped me out on my current trajectory. So, yeah, I don't have a one person, but there were definitely a lot of folks who helped me along the way. And they're kind of pulling it back to Cynthia. Uh, she was interested in talking about how 
mentors kind of helped her in her career path? In any case, I, you know, after I, I was at the end of my undergraduate career and my mentors wanted me to apply for a NASA internship and it was called NASA Academy and it was a leadership academy at NASA where you would um, do a research project for the summer, but you would also uh get to engage and interact with the leaders within NASA. So, you know, the center directors, people working in different fields, like, you know, scientists, expert scientists and researchers. And I was the first South Carolinian to get this internship. I mean, being the first South Carolinian was a huge, you know, you're proud of yourself. And I'm very proud of that accomplishment. Within NASA Academy, there were many different research projects, and you could apply, you know, to which ones you wanted to work on. And I was working with an older mission called the Total Ozone Mapping Spectrometer, or TOMS, and we were looking at ozone. But, you know, the researchers were doing the research. My my part of that was to actually work with educators and to have them start incorporating actual data into the classroom. So it was a really neat experience and exposed me to education. And so not I have a I have a master's in my field, you know, so in geography, remote sensing and GIS or geographic information systems, but I also after, you know, later in life got a master's in education and science and math and I think a lot of that had to do with this internship, right? And like realizing I loved working with educators and I loved spanning spanning discipline. So not only, you know, spanning the sciences, but also education or the general public and that communication piece between, I found my niche there. That really set me up for my future. It provided me an amazing opportunity to get involved with NASA and now here I am still at NASA. And so, yeah, and there have been, you know, deviations from that path throughout, um, but it really did set me up for a career here at NASA and in earth science. And I just am so thankful for that opportunity that I had. Vicki, how long have you been with AGU? Over 11 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, for me, it's, uh, over, it's seven plus. We might be coming up on, yeah. it's, it's been a while. Wow. And that's far longer than I thought I would be, not just here, but right. frankly, anywhere. Uh, when I moved to DC, right, exactly. people say you move, you do something for a few years and move on to something else. But honestly, I mean, I like it here and right. uh, people, and we get to do a podcast. And so, yeah. I get that feeling that Cynthia has uh, for her about NASA. And it sounded like being at NASA has given her some opportunities to do some things she's especially proud of. I moved back to South Carolina because family is also very important to me. And I started teaching at the College of Charleston and some other amazing opportunities that I've had and very rewarding experiences have been taking students on like study abroad. You know, so I've taken students to Costa Rica, India, South Africa, and then we always do a course out West, right? Western U.S. Um, many people don't think about going into geology. So then when we do take them in these field experiences, it's really rewarding to see the look on their faces when they experience something um, new and different. 
And you know, in in those experiences, you know, do you, would do you have any sort of funny, maybe funny moments or memorable stories? You know, taking them on trips or in the field, just taking a bunch of students in the field is exciting and always there are always funny moments. I think that probably the most memorable is that we just about five years ago, before I started this position at NASA, we took students, myself and another faculty member, on a hydrologic study in India. So we hiked to the headwaters of the Ganges River, um, the Gomuk Glacier. And, uh, you know, it was a, a challenging hike, you know, at, at high elevation, high altitude. And um, having the students, those experience, so not necessarily funny, but, you know, but the conversations that we had, because we were together, you know, camping along our route, and just the the relationships that were developed, and it was almost like building a family. So that's, that's one that really sticks out with me, because it was the challenge makes us stronger, right, and build brings us together. Well, that's beautiful. And, you know, is there a favorite place of yours to do science? Yeah, so my my place um, is Zion National Park here in Utah. And, you know, I that was on my field excursion as, you know, every geologist has typically has to do some kind of field experience. And so my field experience was out west here in the United States. And I went to Zion National Park and we did a backpacking trip over a course of a few days. And it was really transformative for me. It was life changing. Um, not only I love sedimentary geology. And so that is what if you've never been to Zion, you know, they're huge dune systems. And so I loved that I loved that place for that, but then also it was transformative for me personally. You know, being in this small town where I grew up and to experience something larger and just, you know, amazing was truly transformative. And so now that is my place that I go to, um, not only when I want to think geology and hike and, and, and do that thing, but even mentally, it's my, you know, it's my place where I go kind of woosah, right? Like where I have this meditative experience where I can just reset, if you will, in nature. So that is my, my absolute favorite place. Yeah. And there is a lot of history there too, which I, which I also love and not all good, you know, like, the Native Americans held that space for so long. And, you know, now we've put American names on everything. And, um, you know, I think we, my own personal opinion is we need to respect a lot of that Native American history that, that was already there. And so, you know, that can be troublesome anywhere we go, right? Because that's what we've done. Um, but I, that I like exploring the actual pre-colonialization history of a space too, and Zion's a neat place to do that. Have you been to Zion? I have, yes. Uh, Zion, I guess a couple years ago now, oh. was a trip that I proposed to my wife at. Oh! Yeah, I mean, actually it was at The Wave, if anyone's familiar with that, but we, our base camp was Zion. So, yeah, Zion holds a pretty special place in my heart. 
But as Cynthia isn't in the field anymore, we asked her about what she's looking forward to at NASA. So obviously I'm working with open science and I just started this position about a year ago. We're a five five-year initiative at NASA and you know definitely want to see where that goes because I do think it's the future of science and it's really going to change the way we do science and there's a lot of mistrust in science especially during the pandemic and a lack of trust in science and science and scientists and I think open science has the potential to change that and so again I'm really excited to be a part of this movement and, you know, I I just recently was at the AAAS conference in D.C., and yesterday there was a plenary session. The closing plenary was about um, – it was scary. The mis- We talked a lot about mistrust in science and a lot of legislation that's being passed and the, the impact that it could have to different communities and the importance of us as scientists when we know something's not correct to stand up and to to you know to be an advocate for what is what is true and and right i don't feel like i've been doing that enough and so i want that to be on my horizon right where i can really advocate for science and 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 what we're doing you know with regards to climate change or increasing diversity and and making science equitable for all like making sure that I'm an advocate for that and really standing up for those issues. And we also, you know, need to be thinking about um, equity in science. And because I think I do still believe one of the biggest issues is trust and the misinformation that's out there and how people are taking science and almost twisting it to meet their needs or or disregarding it. And I think that that needs to change. We need, and I think by exposing the scientific process and making things more transparent and, you know, stopping the whole, like putting things behind paywalls um, is going to help with a lot of that, you know. And again, why I'm doing, why I'm in this open science arena is because I think open science is the the way that that's going to happen. But I think we need to show that science can be messy and there are failures and those failures help us grow. It doesn't make that doesn't make us wrong. It makes us think of new approaches and new ideas. And again, I think a lot of this came out in the pandemic, right, where we saw, you know, we're every the general public was immersed in the scientific process, right? And things were messy and we were saying, you know, things were being said in this way and then changed later that's science right that like, and making people understand that that is actually science and that is how we grow and that's how we make discoveries and look look at what happened we came up with a vaccine in an unprecedented amount of time by being by sharing and exposing that messiness of science but again you know i think that people we we all need to understand that and communicate that so that we know that that is the way things work and maybe that'll get rid of some of that mistrust and misinformation that's put out there. Vicky, do you think that we're helping to fight misinformation with the podcast? I see I see the smirk on your face that no one else can see. 
I think we are, but I worry that if anyone were to uh, take out the interview parts and just string our bits together, <laughs> it would not be. It, it probably couldn't be classified as that, but um, <laughs> which is which is funny because that's exactly what I do sometimes when promoting the podcast is just, just like, <laughs> do our silly little stories at the beginning and end. <laughs> so maybe right. um, maybe I'll be a little bit more deliberate about that in the future to to make sure that nothing <laughs> is uh, to, is misconstrued. But I do want to thank Cynthia for the good work that she does. And with that, that is all from Third Pod from the Sun. Special thanks to Jason Rodriguez for conducting the interview and to NASA for sponsoring the series. This episode was produced by Zoe Swiss and me with audio engineering from Colin Warren and artwork by Karen Romano-Young. We'd love to hear your thoughts, so please rate and review us and you can find new episodes on your favorite podcasting app or at thirdpodfromthesun.com. Thanks all, and we'll see you next week. I feel like, should we do like red leather, yellow leather, red, red leather, yellow leather? Red leather. Is red that what it is? Red leather, yellow leather, red leather. Yeah. Oh, maybe. you can't do it. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow. Hey, I can't do it. Oh, wow. Okay, good. Can you do it? Red, red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather, red leather. I mean, I have to think. Sure. Red leather, so hard. Leather, red, yellow. Yeah, it's like the, it's red. So it, you're not even doing it. You can't red do it. Leather, red leather, yeah, I can't do it. Red leather, yellow <laughs> leather. I can do it once. Yeah. muddled red leather yellow leather 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 it's it's the yeah. it's the second leather so um i used to run i i've told you this before i used to run phonathons mm-hmm. um at like a university and i was a real nerd about it and mm-hmm. i would make suggest run um at the beginning of some of the sessions like tongue twisters okay and i'm i joke about my age but i was so much older than these kids mm-hmm. that were mm-hmm like generations apart it felt like so like some of them hadn't heard some of the like really easy silly tongue twisters like she's she sells seashells which is much longer than she sells seashells by the seashore see that one i can do yeah but so we just i would just look up tongue twisters and like blow their minds (laughs) and we would like laugh before we started the shifts um but i never thought of red leather yellow leather that's just an exercise you're such a leader vicky i'm such a leader yeah